1: apply. 5 years or 100,000 miles whichever comes first.
2: ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to
1: board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify.
3: Welcome to episode 46 of Total Saints Podcast with myself, Steve and Adam. This is the dedicated weekly podcast that goes to the heart of all things Saints FC. We're proudly sponsored this season by happyhottubs.co.uk where you can get 10% off of hot tubs, chemicals and accessories if you mention this podcast in one of their stores. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss yesterday's match for Saints and the 2-0 loss up at Molyneux. Look ahead to Everton in the Carabao Cup and Chelsea at St Mary's in the next week or so. We're also going to squeeze in a chat about Saints and their current relationship with and in the USA. To do that, we'll hear from Paul Cox, a Saints fan based in the Midwest, who's been heavily involved with the club's North America partnership. I'm also really pleased to say that for that reason, NBC employee and big Saints fan Joe Prince-Wright at JPW underscore NBC Sports is also with us. Joe, really good to have you on the, uh, the pod finally. And, um, I'm assuming all settled into another Premier League season.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. An absolute pleasure as always. Uh, been lucky enough to get to know Steve and Adam over the years and, and obviously meeting yourself. And, uh, yeah, it's been hectic kind of traveling all around the country the last few months, but, uh, it doesn't seem like we've had much of a break with the World Cup this summer, but yeah, it keeps rolling on, uh, loving it at a big event in Washington, DC, uh, this weekend, Alan Shearer was over and, uh, it goes from strength to strength in the US. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been unbelievable the last five, six years.
3: Jay makes it sound so much more glamorous than your job, Adam.
1: Because his job is more glamorous than my job. <laughs> he's, jetting oh, no. around, he's jetting around the world and I'm uh, driving in a Vauxhall Corsa <laughs> to Everton on a Tuesday night. Well, it, try making that sound glamorous. <laughs> can't you can't really can you so there
3: we go well it's uh it's lovely to have you with us joe and I hope adam steve and myself will make you feel welcome and there's quite a lot to to go through so let's get stuck into it this is total saints podcast episode 46 sponsored by happy hot tubs dot co dot
1: happy hot tubs we specialize in hot tubs it's all we've done for 35 years so if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone then we're the place for honest clear and friendly advice Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range.
3: Saints came away from another Premier League game with Neil Pois having lost to two late goals at Wolves. Adam. I know we spoke about Groundhog Day last week. It, probably Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day. I'm not sure if there was a Groundhog Day 2 film, but if there was, that was probably it again. Talk us through it.
1: Well, I don't think there was a follow-up. Although, apparently, they do, have they done or are they doing a musical Groundhog Day? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, it was well, more of the same, more of the same. You know what? I, I know a lot of people were, were pretty, you know, didn't think they played that well. I thought they did all right in spells. I mean, wolves were... Uh, below par, I think both teams were probably uh, a bit short of their best. It's always a bit enlightening when you go to the away grounds in the press box, because obviously you, you tend to be mainly hearing from the majority of people there who see the opposition play all the time, as well as you're used to seeing Saints play. And, and afterwards, all of their kind of guys were saying oh it's the mark of a good team that you play poorly and and you still win so they obviously didn't think that having seen Wolves uh you know all season as they have and 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 last season and before that 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 they played particularly well um it's just the same old problems isn't it it's Mm. it's just the same issues um at both ends of the pitch a lack of cutting edge and that vulnerability if you like especially in as Hugh said afterwards in the key times that that sort of 10 minutes after kickoff five minutes either side of half time 10 minutes before the end kind of the key areas where you really want to be solid um where where goals in those times hurt you more than goals in other times in the general sense in one of those key times that they just completely fell apart and, and they could have conceded more goals in the final 10 minutes as well and it's another game you come away from going they're well in it for large parts they they had potential chances to to have got you know three points from the game certainly got a point and they've lost and and the problem is it, it's just this broken record effect isn't it really of it's just it's just the same thing over and over and over again uh, I think already this season is uh, it's early doors, and we, you know, I said last week on the pod that you didn't want to draw too many conclusions after Liverpool way, but it would be a bit more concerning after Wolves um, mm-hmm. if the situation was still the same. We've got to that point, and so I, I think it's fair that we do begin to look at this as a as, as you know for, for what it is, and it is a little bit concerning, slumping nearer and nearer the bottom of the table despite really having only played Liverpool and. and yeah, you know, possibly Everton away as well, I suppose, and a lot of the teams. Uh, but in those positions below them, have had much harder games. And and you, the problem is if they don't make a break soon, then you're stuck in it for another year, aren't you? And there's there's no, it's very difficult to get out.
3: Absolutely, Steve. You were there as well. Um, apart from the pyrotechnics, which Adam was very quick to, to talk about, um,
1: they had fireworks as well.
3: I know. I saw, I saw you sort of saying that Saints need to start in the ante now. So maybe for Watford home, getting the rad arrows flying across or something like that.
1: I said either that or Ralph Kruger to parachute the match ball into the centre circle before the game. I thought those, those were the two things. Oh good. Lord. Don't 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 give him ideas.
3: <laughs> I was going to make good. an inappropriate comment on your Twitter feed about Ralph Kruger and the uh, the parachute, but I thought it was probably a bit unfair. But uh, there we go. <laughs> um, anyway, Steve. I'm
1: surprised nobody did. To be honest, well, well, I yeah. put it up. I thought yeah. somebody will come in here.
3: Yeah, probably. We're we're not all feeling that bad just yet. But Steve, um, not not great. And I saw your tweet as well about the last 15 uh, minutes and the I'm going to say testicles uh, amongst those. Saints team so it wasn't great
0: I mean as Adam's gone over it was just the same nonsense every week we're as soon as we concede a goal we just fold like a pack of cards there's no there's no backbone in that team I mean you've got you've got a fair amount of experience in that side and yet there's not a single player putting their hand up and trying to organize people Ryan Bertrand is nominal captain I can understand from that first goal when Traore runs runs past him and down the wing. He doesn't. He wants to. He needs to withdraw his leg because otherwise he's going to be getting himself sent off. Mm. But at the same time, the guys run past him and he's making a token gesture effort to get back and help out. And there are just too many, too many of those occasions. Cedric did Cedric did something very similar in um, earlier in the second half and um, when it was still nil nil and got away with it because his pace bailed him out. Yeah. Um, for. A squad of players, I mean, we've got, what, the, the eighth biggest wage bill in the Premier League? Then they're, they're not performing to the sum of their parts, and it's just not good enough.
3: No, and I think, I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? We've spoken about it before, and Adam's right, it is still early in the season, but the, these are players that are getting paid very well, and I think, to me, too many of us, they look far too comfortable, as in, you know, they're not putting any more effort in than they really need to,
0: some of them. Mark Hughes seems to have more or less settled on... Um, probably a core of 13 players that he that he's going to pick every week and it doesn't matter what sort of um performance they toss in on a Saturday afternoon because even if they screw it up um Ryan Bertrand knows that Matt that um, Matt Target's not a not a threat to his place he knows that um he knows that when come the Chelsea game on Sunday mm. he's going to be lining up and he'll probably have, probably still have the um the armband on his arm um, there's no, there's just no accountability or or any recriminations for players that just aren't performing anywhere near where they should do, despite the fact that we've got a deep squad now.
3: Joe, so what have you made of uh Saints? As I mentioned, you're a big Saints fan, like the rest of us. So what have you
4: made of them so far this season? Yeah, well, not great, is it? Let's be honest. Um, but I, I do think that I think about this a lot, and you know, travelling around, people ask me, you know, who do you support? And you say Saints, and then. The follow up question is usually what's going on with them at the moment for the last couple of years, and everyone seems to be expecting a lot more. Um, and I kind of am um, stuck into my Saints fans are a little bit deluded, for want of a better word, in terms of what they should expect from the team a top six uh, battle and trying to fight to get back in Europe and take that for granted because of all the success that's come. Or is it actually when you, you sit down and look at it, um, are we just one of those teams that's mid table to lower half of the, the table? and we should accept and just be happy of being in the Premier League. But, I mean, going off what Steve said there with the wage bill, and you, you think about how handsomely these players are getting paid, I, I don't think you can make the argument that Saints is just kind of on the also-round. They need to be up there in the top 10 Yep. Um, when you look at their record against the top six, I mean, uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but have we beaten the top six teams since Ronald Koeman was in charge? So I think
3: I think I saw a stat yesterday that uh, Radio to put out going, that's now, and Adam will, correct me if I'm wrong, 30 Premier League games we've played against top half sides, Adam, where we've not won a game. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, that's, that's the stat they put out, which I, I believe is correct.
4: And that, I mean, the other one is the last seven times they've played newly promoted teams, they haven't won a single game. So that's worrying. Um I've been around the club the uh, last few weeks. Um, I went to the Brighton game and I I just feel from people I spoke to and I mean, I'm sure Adam can can vouch for this as well, that there's just a bit of a hangover from last season. It seems like some of the players and staff are just a little bit drained from the the sort of ordeal of just staying up and kind of you expect them to kick on and, and be more confident and say, that was a huge let off. Now, let's not make sure it doesn't happen again, but it seems to be lingering yeah. Um, and people have uh, just the negativity is, is still there and uh, now when you look at it as Steve mentioned as well I, I don't know why a lot of players haven't been switched out earlier but hopefully this result as, as Mark Hughes alluded to will force his hand slightly in terms of some of the uh, personnel um, I think defensively you can't concede pretty much two goals a game and expect to do well in the Premier League uh, it's all well and, and good saying we're going to play two up front and be that exciting attacking team, okay, that sounds great, and obviously I've the last two Saints managers, that sounds fantastic, but in reality I think they need to get back to being hard to beat, grinding results out against the teams around them, um, and the Brighton game for me was a huge wake-up call on sort of where we are as a team, Southampton, mm. and I don't think it's anywhere near the level that it has been the last five or six years, and for a lot of fans uh, who have grown up sort of the younger generations with nothing but success through the leagues and in the Premier League Uh, I think they're kind of finding it quite hard to come to terms with and you know I think we've all watched Saints long enough now to know that there's plenty of dark days in the past that we would never want to return to so let's not you know get too carried away but I think that uh, when you look at the fixture list I'm not sure where the next win's going to come from for Saints and that's the most worrying thing
3: Yeah I think um, I mean Jay's made a couple of points there that I had down here Adam which is you know we've seen against Liverpool we've seen against Wolves teams aren't having to work particularly hard to to beat us and, and and Joe used another word that I've written down here which is drained which is in terms of you know the start of the season I think there was a little bit more enthusiasm around that this season would be different to last year but I've, I've put down here that started to drain away already really and you, you know we're starting to get back into that mold of being worried or, or maybe that's just me overacting a bit I don't know.
1: No, I, d- I don't think it's an overreaction to be to be worried. Uh, you know that th- I, I I think it's still early days. Uh, you know I don't I don't think there's any point in you know throwing the baby out of the bathwater or whatever the saying is at the, this point in time. And it's like uh, uh, you know I was seeing notifications on on my Twitter of people going oh yeah we, we're we're doomed if we don't get rid of Mark Hughes yesterday. And I was I was thinking my you know and talk about Groundhog Day. I think about this mm. time last year, everybody was saying the same thing about Pellegrino. This time the year before, everything, everybody was saying the same against Puel. And as I've continually said on this pod for 18 months, maybe we need to look beyond just going, we need to get rid of another manager mm. to actually identify where the issues are. That There's problems, obviously, that Hughes is trying to deal with in the team. But if, if we're talking generally, the wider context is that this feels too much maybe i'm wrong but this feels too much like a club that is in decline mm. not not just and it might be as joe said that that all it is is just a, re- a return to the place where really saints ought to be their place in the pecking order where it realistically is and this is a very painful uh leveling out process but the the reality is that's how it feels that, that the kind of they, they are going backwards in so many ways. The only thing that seems to be going onwards and upwards is the wage bill and the amount of money the players are getting paid, as Steve pointed out. But everything else um, feels a little bit like it, it's in reverse. And we just go back to my, you know, one of my favourite topics of you take your leadership – Um, And everybody talks about leadership and we talk about this lack of leadership on the field. Well, where's the leadership off the field? Mm. Because that's ultimately where everybody in an organization takes their lead from the very top. And... There was there was the, the mystery owner was at Wolves again, you know, waving oddly from the director's box because he's a very private man. Don't forget it's a very <laughs> private man who sits in the front of the director's box at a Premier League football club, which he happens to own. But other than that, he's a very private man. But we don't even know why he's bought the club. We don't know what. he what, Anyway, we could go on about that forever. But the, p- the point is that, you know, if we're talking in a more general sense, then there were there are very significant problems. And and I, I think that when you look at how significant some of the issues are, that you almost get down to the sense of, well, who Mark Hughes ends up picking at center half almost is like, you know, it's like the tip of the iceberg, really. Mm. Um, and and that, that's just I mean, maybe that's just because I'm close to all this and I, I see all this. And it's not just I, I see more than just 90 minutes on a, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. But, it just I, I, don't, I don't think it's unfair to be concerned. All I'm saying is I, I think the concern for me is more widespread than just who's playing, who's the manager, et cetera, et cetera. Cause I, 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 you know, we can't go on. Yeah, this is happening again and again and again. And now it's happening season after season. This is a trend. You can't just write this off as one or two blips effectively or a blip at the end of a game or a blip at here you know these these are trends and as we said last week these statistics that are racking up these very very negative statistics they are now so ingrained so inset they're happening so often that that you can't just say it's some sort of anomaly anymore this this is just a you know a very big trend and the way they're going
3: steve let's look for some positives then was there anyone that came yeah. out of the game in a red
1: and white shirt that
3: came out with any credit yesterday
0: um, I thought we were all right th- through the centre of midfield. I thought after the first 10 or 15 minutes or so where Wolves came at us reasonably strongly, I thought Lamina and Hoiberg more or less dominated the midfield area against, um, Neves and Moutinho, which, um, I guess is a positive, um, because I fully expected those two to be the, the sort of damage inflictors in chief, mm. uh, for Wolves, but they were, they were very quiet, I thought, um, after that initial opening spell. Other than that, redmond has got on the ball a lot again. There wasn't an awful lot of uh, support around for him, but he's showed good vision to set up El Yunusi for that chance in the first half that the keeper saved. I think El Yunusi was relatively quiet again. The system that we're we're playing kind of baffles me a little bit, because if you're playing, I mean, obviously, Ings is our main striker now, and you want to get... Well, get the best out of him you play him in the role that most suits him which is playing off the shoulder of the of the last man and yet with Charlie Austin up up alongside him you're forcing Ings to play as the guy just behind because you know that Austin isn't going to drop deep and pick up the ball and spray passes around um, he's not going to sort of be nimble and nip between somebody and play a neat little one too mm. and so as a result we made it very easy for Wolves um, defensively because they knew that their two centre-backs had just got um, Austin to mark and he wasn't going to be moving anywhere. Yeah. The full-backs weren't able, whether that was because Wolves defended quite well or because we just didn't work the ball there properly, but the full-backs weren't able to get into attacking positions to get crosses into the box, which is, for me, the only reason you would have Austin in the team. If you're, if you're putting balls into the box, then yeah, great. Austin's well, arguably the best player we've got for that role. But if we're not doing that, then, for me, he's a waste of space.
4: Yeah, what, what's happened to the three-four-three and the three-five-two, by the way? I mean, I, I don't understand that. It was working so well at the end of last season. I, I'm I'm just a bit frustrated that, you know, the full-backs that they have, the attacking wing-backs, Bertrand, Cedric, uh, they're just defending all the time. They're not really adding anything in attack. And so, like Steve said, when you've got someone like Ings up there, Austin, get balls into the box and... I just think that we look so much better and, and more solid with three central defenders. Uh, and I don't think quite quite uh, and Vestergaard, mm. they get beaten way too easily in terms of the pace. Um, they, they make some errors in terms of the, when they step in to make challenges, and I think it's kind of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card that we have when we play a three-four-three three or a 3 five, 2 so I'd love to see that return, just quickly. I just want to make that point. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I, I was going to ask you, actually, Joe, because we spoke last week about a Saints player whose stock has risen simply by not playing, uh, Maya Ishida. Adam was right in predicting that he wouldn't be back for Wolves. Steve and I felt he should have been. Are you surprised that someone with his experience and leadership, bearing in mind how shaky we have been defensively, has sort of continued to, to be left out this season?
4: Absolutely. Um, most Saints fans, I mean, when I was down for the Brighton game, I was chatting with them and, uh, they were bemused as well um, in this kind of situation where, as the, the guys rightly mentioned, you're looking around for a leader on the pitch to cajole the team together. Maybe Yoshida's not the most vocal, but um, I think they have that presence, that leadership. I thought he was pretty good last season uh, and really good uh, under Claude Buel as well. Um, and he was pretty good at the World Cup as well. So mm. I'm scratching my head over that situation. I'm not sure what's happened over the summer or if the anything that's gone on behind the scenes. Uh, it's a weird one. It's a really weird one. Could you think that sort of his reading ability of the game? And, and he's got a decent turn of pace as well. Um, I would think that would complement the other two centre-backs quite well with their aerial ability. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But it, it's not about formation, as Adam said. Uh, there's a lot of bigger issues there. Mm. But but for me, if you're going to play two up front, I would say that Saints look a lot more solid with a uh, three-five-two or whatever... This kind of formation, you want to put that in. But what about Gabbiadini? Maybe playing as a number ten in the whole I feel like they've never really found his true position. And Napoli used to play off the left a lot, and he's done that a few times to Saints. But you've got to try something different and a little bit drastic now. And maybe the Everton game in midweek is a good one to, to try that.
3: To yeah, indeed. And Adam, I mean, you know, Hugh certainly seemed to imply, I think, to, to guys he was talking to like yourself after the game that he's now going to start looking at changes because it, it definitely isn't working.
1: Yeah, I mean, I asked him a question about that and, and uh, yeah, he his response was, um, I don't think was quite as emphatic as as some people have reported it as being. I think that was a bit of a a, a cheap line, but I certainly agree with Joe that obviously for Everton, there's going to be wholesale changes. And I, 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 I suspect I did ask him about this um, for the preview, you know, embargoed to a later time to come out. And, and he did pretty much say, look, that if people really impress this time around in the cup, then there is a chance that this is going to lead to people getting in the league team. But, mm. you know, I, I agree with, with kind of what Steve said. I mean, he seems to have kind of settled on this, this sort of bunch of players that, that he thinks are the ones that, that can do it for him. Um, and then obviously the others are kind of on the outside looking in a little bit more, but whether any of those can can step up and and get back in, I don't know. I think with with Gabbiadini, for example, I mean, I can trace that back to when when he started the, you know, horror game at West Ham that was Mark Hughes' first game in charge. I think it's fair to say that Hughes obviously decided there and then that he didn't fancy him very much, and he wasn't very impressed with him. He took him off at half-time, and really he's barely been seen since other than, you know, being thrown off the bench a few times. Um, So, uh, you know, I I don't blame Mark Hughes to a certain extent because I think when you're in a position where you sort of are backs to the wall, you kind of, and he sees them every day, he sees them at much closer quarters than we do. He's got to pick the people and the characters um, as much as anything else that he thinks are going to muck in and, and get, you know, get stuck in and get points. And it's always very easy to sit on the the sidelines or in the stands or in the press and go, he should be playing, he should be playing, this guy should be playing, you know, almost looking through the squad list on the back of the programme. But let's not forget, a lot of the guys that we're talking about, uh, not all of them, um, Yoshida isn't one, um, in fairness, but some of these guys are guys that have been there a few years under different managers, and different Mm -hmm. managers haven't played them. So... That, that kind of gives you a bit of a hint, maybe, as to as to what's going on and why they're not playing. And, and it's a difficult situation. And, and with regards to centre-halves, I've got to say, uh, Wolves as well, generally, it's early days, still setting in. But let's be honest, Vestergaard hasn't been desperately um, impressive either, has he? He's done OK, but the majority of the time he's not been great either no, that no. looks like another you spend 18 million pounds on the centre-half you get an 18 million pound centre-half in the Premier League that's the reality of the situation and I think we've all said you, you the centre-halves you can for, for me there's sort of like a fag packet almost between you know fag paper between them all as to who you pick and who you don't pick in terms of uh, what's going on so maybe it's worth giving Yoshida a go now but As I say, he's the one who sees them every day. He's the one who who has that sense of whether they're ready or not. So you kind of have to just back his judgment. Yeah. And just finally
3: on Walls then, Steve, um, another fantastic backing by Saints fans, 3,000 of them up there. Most of them probably sunburned today, I think, based on the weather. But, you know, even some of the more positive fans that I know, I'm starting to see disgruntlement settling in now. And it's, you know, another performance where they've been let down, guys like yourself that travel, spend a lot of money to go and watch Premier League games. So the, the team need to start realizing that these fans aren't going to stick with them. Although we're a very loyal bunch, you know, fans will start disappearing if performances don't improve.
0: Well, you only have to look at the home attendances in the last year and a bit for proof that that's already happening. Um, the guys, the people that would come in when we were genuinely entertaining and fun to watch, and we were enjoying a, a period of relative success, a lot of those will have already ditched it in because they thought, well, why am I paying at least thirty quid a game? Well, if you have got a season tickets, thirty quid a game. If you're if you're buying on a match by match basis. I've not even looked at the matchday prices on an individual basis, but I assume it's a lot more than that. And it's like, why the hell would I spend that sort of money watching the absolute toilet that they've turned out in the last um, last year to 15 months or so? Mm. It's not a case of the players have got to realise that they've got to be more more entertaining. I'm sure they're absolutely well aware of this, mm. but something has got to sort of jolt them out of this sort of weird malaise that they've been under basically since the League Cup final.
3: Now earlier this week I caught up with Paul Cox. Paul is originally from Andover, is a Saints supporter and now lives in Nebraska. We spoke about his involvement with the Saints North American Partnership. Here's what Paul had to say. Thanks for joining Total Saints podcast, Paul. Great to have you on the show. Before we start talking about Saints in the USA, I wondered if you could tell us briefly about yourself and you know how you swapped Andover in and Hampshire for Omaha over in Nebraska.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So when I was about 16 years old, uh, my, my teacher at John Anton told me that his uh, son had come over to the US and played university, got a scholarship and kind of was able to play full time as well as, as getting a degree. And Ultimately, I thought it was just a pipe dream originally, and then the further I looked into it, and I found uh, a Scottish-based company that helped um, athletes that wanted to go over to the US and play in a variety of sports, and uh, football was one of those, and put an inquiry in, and then ended up um, going to a trial day, uh, was selected as a part of the program, and then what they do, ultimately, is just put a profile together uh, of you, whether academic and athletic-wise, have basically had all the you know, achievements I had playing over you know, in Hampshire and the UK, and then had GCSEs, B-Tech, A-levels, everything I'd done there. And then it was just an online portal that U- U.S. coaches could then log on to, view the profile, see if I matched up academically with their university, and then ultimately if they wanted me to then go and play for the university. And that's actually what I do now as a job. Now I'm actually on the other side of it as a college coach doing the same thing and brought in some internationals. But obviously that's how I came out. The coach got in touch with me, fell in love with the school, ended up coming over in 2008, uh, spent four years playing out here, went home for a year. Back to hand handover, worked for a little bit, realized that I missed the, the lifestyle out here a little bit and ended up coming back uh, as a graduate assistant. So I worked as an assistant for a, a university program for three years while getting my master's for free, which was great. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, transitioned into a director of coaching at Blair. Well, it was Blair Soccer Association. We then changed the name of the club to Blair Football Club. And then that's when the partnership with Slampton began. Right. Now, I've been out of that club now for just over a little over a month but now I'm back in a university setting and coaching there so it's been 10 years it's been a good journey and I'm kind of excited to see what the next kind of 5-10 years hold as well
3: yeah fantastic and what, what's it like living in Omaha, Nebraska compared to, to Andover? is there much going on in Omaha? <laughs>
5: Yes, it's just the, the biggest thing is just, you know, back in Andover, yeah, I'd walk everywhere. You have to have a, a car. There's Uber. I mean, Uber's only just been a recent thing, but like buses and trains isn't really a thing. Like you, you have to, you're very reliant on cars here. And then just little things like everything. There's a cash machine drive through. There's a pharmacy drive through, drive through food, drive through coffee. Everything's drive through. So it's just little things like that that are just really. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. um, and I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I haven't uh, put on a few pounds since I've been over here just to get, get accustomed to the
3: lifestyle. Yeah, I can imagine. I've uh, I was We were just talking before we started there. I've uh, been lucky enough to travel to the America a few times on holiday. And, uh, yeah, it's always, I always come back thinking, oh, that's the lifestyle for me. As you say, you're sitting in an SUV, getting your, your latte past you through one window and your McDonald's through the other and all that sort of things. Exactly. Good stuff. So, I mean, moving on to the, the partnership. Now, wh- one of our listeners, Kevin, um, who is also based in the USA, sent us an email recently about Saints and specifically asked about the club's partnership project in North America which was launched in 2016 and that was really the reason that I was keen to get in touch and have a a chat to Paul. So I just wondered Paul if you could tell us a bit about you know the the, the partnership how it works you know what sort of Saints relationship is with that for those of us that maybe don't know too much about it.
5: I saw an article that went out through I think it was NBC at the time that they they released that Samson were going to do this initiative and obviously being based in the U.S. Being a Southampton fan, like, it just caught my interest right away. And then uh, each year, United Soccer Coaches, which is a, an organisation over here, has a soccer coaching convention uh, each year, and it brings thousands of coaches to one location. And Southampton announced that they were going to be there, and it was kind of their official launch of, you know, chatting to people about it, seeing if they could get gather some interest from clubs. So I went and uh, I went over and spoke with Matt Sanger, who's the He's a global football development manager, I think, in terms of on the business side of things. So I went and had a chat with him. We had a coffee. We spoke about the program. I gave him a, a briefing on the club that I work for. I was very honest about we're not, in terms of a club, we weren't as developed as maybe some of these other clubs, but we're trying to get on a more competitive standpoint, just from that honest conversation. I think in a lot of ways we had a lot of similarities in terms of our club and Southampton. I would say when I took over my club, we were we were basically when saints were in league one with minus 10 points. We were in that situation of like, there wasn't much organization and structure in the club, but we were trying to like push it in the right direction. And with saints help, we really, really have put it in the right direction. Um, but following that, so that was January, 2016 when it was like officially launched. So then we officially started the partnership June one. And then I suppose the big kind of kickoff of the whole thing that in Baltimore in 2016, there was, um, a coaching conference. Uh, and at that point, there was three clubs that were involved. Uh, there was us, Blair Football Club, um, just outside of Omaha. There was a team in Baltimore. They're called SAC. I'm not 100% sure what that one stands for, but that's the one that, that was, has been officially announced as a partner. Mm-hmm. And then there was another club based out of Pittsburgh. Uh, and we all went to this conference and I'll be honest with you, like it was fantastic. It was three and a half days and the, they pulled out all the stops in terms of the people that they brought over. So they brought over mine Hunter, the technical director. And what what I'll say about Martin is he's the most... Like I've been to a lot of these conferences like around the US where they bring people in from all over the world. Martin is hands down the most intelligent person I've ever heard speak about football. Mm. Like he's just insight to everything and like attention to detail is is really impressive. So he had him and Matt Hale, the academy director was there. Uh, Matt DePleger at the time was the strength and conditioning guy. Vince Bartram was there doing the goalkeeping. Mo Gimple was there as well. And again, Mo's been there a, a long time. And again, yes. in terms of his field on, the, on the, the medical side of things, just chatting to him, like, I was like, I didn't even realize I had that in my body. <laughs> just talking <laughs> about things. Like, in terms of his kind of area of expertise, was really, was really good. And then Ed Vahid was there, who was the head of coaching. Uh, and it was interesting with Ed because Ed doesn't have a football background. I'm, I'm pretty sure his background's in swimming. But like in terms of what he brings what they were saying in terms of like coaching and all that, it's like a broad spectrum was really, really interesting and really good insight. And then Matt Sanger, who I mentioned, was there as well. He was the initial contact for everyone. So he was there to organize everything and it was a really good experience. So what kind of happened is they broke the conference down into like three different parts. There was like the classroom sessions and they talked about everything. So Martin and Matt talked about the academy and like the pathway through. Matt, the pledge went over strength and conditioning and how important that was. And it gave the coaches a real insight into, um, as a strength and conditioning guy, like he would set up the dimensions of a session. Whereas like a coach, you're thinking, no, I do that because mm. that's like my job. But then, you know, it depends on if you're having like an intensive or an extensive session or a technical session. So if you're having an intensive session, maybe in the possession game, you're going 40 by 30 in terms of yardage compared to 30 by 20. And just that detail, as small as it was, it was really, really interesting. Um, and then they broke it down on some field sessions. So Vince ran a goalkeeping session, which was great, and to be fair, it was about 100 degrees when he did it, so <laughs> fair play to him for that. It was, it was really warm. And then uh, Martin did a session as well. I got stopped by Thunder and Lightning. We had to go inside, but then they reviewed it again in terms of that. And then at the end of the conference, they brought the U14 team over. See, that's where I'm getting to Americanism there, under 14. Since I've been in the U.S., I say U14. <laughs> so um, they played one of the partner clubs, SAC. It was so interesting to see the difference in styles. Samson just. Samson Pass them off the park. Mm. I think they went two and lap up quite quickly, but then the Americans. So you, <laughs> it was, then they're under fourteen for this team. Like some of them are bits like they were so big and so athletic. Yeah, they just you, relied on sheer athleticism. And the other club actually ended up winning four two. But in terms of development in players and technique and everything and tactical, Southampton were just stride ahead of them. But that kind of like wrapped it up, and they made the the game really interactive where all of the coaches had headsets on and could listen to the coach on the other side and what the information we get. And they actually gave us as coaches watching a task to to fill out that then we then discussed that following morning before we departed. So that was 2016. And then Andy Martino, who has been like the main focal point of this whole thing, since I, obviously I've left the club, I'm still in contact with him, and he's as a solid like mentor. He's now leading the the partnerships and, and and where they're going, and I know that he's been in the US a lot and even Canada, they like going and visit other clubs and do these things. But he's been the main focus for for clubs to go to. Once we started the program, there was two things that they implemented. The first thing was they implemented their curriculum with us and shared it with us. Um, Andy actually came over and did an audit of the club, so came over and was like, right, this is where you're at currently. This is an action plan for the next year that we want to see. And then he came back the following year and we went through it and set another action plan going forward. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to this, they use the coaching manual as a, as a platform to share content in terms of videos, podcasts, sessions, uh, interviews with players. And just kind of honestly, in, in some cases, edu- it's like an educational piece about Southampton for maybe American coaches and parents, And which was something that was really insightful. Uh, and then ultimately, what we've done over the last two summers was we've hosted camps. First summer, we had one coach come over, and this year we had three come over uh, and, and run a camp, which been great. Cause as soon as as soon as they knew that the coaches would come over, we had quarter of our competitive players enrol in the camp, which was really encouraging. Yeah. So
3: in terms of Saints as a brand, then I mean, I, I assume obviously some of the other English clubs, the big boys particularly, are, are doing something similar. But in, in, in terms of Saints trying to build their brand, which has been something that they've been working hard on right across the globe, particularly in China now, how successful do you think this programme's been with maybe some of the, the kids out there
5: in America that would never have heard of Southampton before? In two years that I was with the club, it's grown massively. I just remember in January of this year, one of the kids came running up to me with his new Saint shirt on that he got for Christmas. And it was just like little things like that. You think, OK, the brand is growing. Uh, when we were in the Caribou Cup Vinyl, I went to... Um, I think the game was ten o'clock over here when that cup final, whenever that cup final was, and there was there was four Saints fans that came in. Like I was in there, thought I'd be the only one, and you know I got chatting to them and you know why why they supported Saints. Someone had been them on FIFA and really liked them. One (laughs) there was some church affiliation or something, and then one just said basically compared it to the Green Bay Packers and said that in terms of philosophy, it's like very much the same, Mm. and that's why he was a Saints fan. But it was just interesting to hear how it was growing, and then even at the camp this year there was kids turning that with saint shirts on and we even gave some merchandise out and the kids wore it back to the camp and i think the brand is definitely going out there for it to be in Blair, nebraska which is eight thousand people very small town if it's made an impact there like i know it's going to make a, a big impact in places like baltimore columbus ohio um I'm trying to get some of the other places i think there's one in florida now that's being added but it, it, in terms of like the the brand, it, it comes out. Whenever I speak to people, they would know who Southampton were. And I think the biggest thing is there are other clubs out here trying to do things. That like West Ham are out here, Liverpool are out here. But the biggest thing that everybody comes back to when they talk about Southampton is Gareth Bale, Theo Walcott, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, James Ward-Prowse. It comes back to all of those players. It's proof to like the process, and and people know about it. I'd say Liverpool, Man United are the biggest supported clubs out here. And the way Liverpool have raided us over the last two, three <laughs> years has honest, honestly helped with the brand recognition as well. So in terms of the partnership as well, like last year there was uh, they came over and did a Samson Cup in the US. That's right. Yep. Um, I can't remember if it was in Baltimore or if it was in Texas, but what happened was they took the top 30 players from America and invited them over to a camp at Staplewood. So they're, 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 you know they're taking the best 30 players, bringing them into that environment, comparing them to you know what Sir Walcott, what gareth bale were at that age and seeing if, if they're a pathway from the u.s into into the academy yeah
3: and i think as you say um i know under armour are obviously based in baltimore aren't they i know their headquarters is there so that's obviously been a bit of a, a link for for saints as well but uh, look, i mean just just finally then looking forward i mean how, how do you sort of see the success and the sort of partnership growing and you know hopefully your involvement in that uh, what, what do you think the future holds for the saints in north america
5: I mean, I've I've discussed this idea, not necessarily with the people I work with. Liverpool have an actual academy over here based in Michigan. I don't know if it's something of interest to Samson, but I think that is a possibility where I think they could really excel and have like uh, an actual team that's actually Southampton in North America. But in terms of the partnership that they have, the the brand is just going to get bigger because I anticipate that the clubs that they're they're affiliated with are just going to grow inside, because the information that Southampton are giving the clubs in the U.S., it's second to none. There's a lot of big clubs in my area, not not just Nebraska, but like Midwest, that they, mm. they necessarily don't have a curriculum to their club, and they're just basing everything on, like, with the biggest club, geographically, this is what we want to do, and there's no kind of method to it, but Southampton are giving some clubs organization and structure and method, and long-term, like, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, they're not going to produce a player in a, in a year or two years. It's going to take five, ten years for them to continue to produce. And I just think, long term, in terms of the next five to ten years, I could see, in term, uh, with Under Armour as well, I can definitely see the club being, you know, outside of the, the top six, being that next club that people are looking for, especially if one player can get produced and maybe makes it into the Samson team. Americans are very proud of their own players in Europe, like when Tim Howard was at. Everton there's a there's a huge pride of that and when Clint Dempsey was at Tottenham and Fulham there's a they're very proud of you know their players and what they can do and Pulisic right now at Dortmund and automatically there's people that follow Dortmund because of him I think in terms of the longevity of the next five to ten years if there's a player an American player that can get into the Samson first team that's just going to help the and I don't doubt it with the way the partnerships are going and and the detail that they give clubs and if they implement it the right way it's just going to be uh, a very good situation. Yeah,
3: well, I'm sure Ralph Krieger will be working hard on that, Paul. I guess the final thing is, though, it's imperative, really, that, uh, Saints stay in the Premier League for that to really be a success, right?
5: Yeah, I kind of joke with him a little bit about that. It was like that Swansea. I remember the Swansea game watching it. It's weird watching a game at 1.45 and it's not at 7.45 in the UK, but the game was huge and I did think about that, too. Like, I think a, a huge part of it does matter just in terms of, face value like you look at a team and then the Premier League dash what matters but I think you need to have a person with the right mindset of saying you know what it doesn't matter what league they're in but the product that they give and the information they give is right for us and it's right in terms of developing a player that's 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 all the way up to their 15, 16 Thanks
3: Paul really appreciate the time and uh, your, your insight wish you all the best going forward and most importantly keep flying that Saints flag out there in Nebraska alright? Absolutely Joe, just how much has the American interest in the Premier League grown over, say, the last five to ten years?
4: Uh, it's been incredible, really. When I first went out there university, 18, that was well over a decade ago. It was quite a tough to enter to a bar on a Saturday morning to try and find who was watching the game or what stations it's on. But have been lucky enough to be with NBC since uh, we acquired the rights for the Premier League back in 2013. So it's been five years now in that time, the ten most-watched games in U.S. history in terms of the Premier League. have all been on our network, uh, I think, which tells its own story. And, yeah, it's it's been pretty incredible, to be perfectly honest with you. It's one of those sports, football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. I still get stick from my mates back home for calling it the latter, but I I, I have to. Uh, It's so untapped, the potential. I mean, people involved with the American soccer community probably get sick and tired of hearing that. But in terms of all the ways we measure it and uh, the growth, the audience, it just really is a sport that's on the up in the States and you're not quite sure where it's going, where the level is. Yeah, you know, how far it can go, but um, it, it's been amazing to see. And uh, from someone who's been involved with NBC from the start, I think we've all been amazed at the popularity—not just the big clubs, but you know, Southampton or Swansea, West Brom, whoever—that um, fans across the country are so loyal, and they can watch every game over there, which mm-hmm. is, a, is a big, uh, you know, a big plus that you can tick a team, follow it, and that's your team. And yeah, I mean, when you get West Brom fans in Nebraska uh, sending you you know a photo of them in a scarf and yeah it's kind of a bit bizarre but at the same time it's cool to see. Yeah
3: and uh, I mean as you say Americans obviously you know I'm lucky enough to know a few that live over there very much into their American football their baseball their basketball so you know how much work do NBC have to try and do to sort of drum up the interest in it and promote it alongside the other channels or does it do it naturally through word of mouth bearing in mind you know a lot of people have cable TV and things like that.
4: Yeah, and, you know, we stream all the games live online as well, which is another big thing that uh, we offer over any competitors. And I think the main plus when it comes to Premier League and the growth in fandom is the fact that it has its own dedicated window. Saturday and Sunday mornings, 7 a.m. Eastern time until, you know, 1 or 2 in the afternoon, you've got a solid six-, seven-hour window there where you're the only sport that's on TV, live sport at least, Um, you know. Basketball, baseball, American football isn't starting to the afternoon. So it's pretty cool. And then to see the younger generations have really embraced it. I mean, going to college in the States is lucky enough to go to the University of Pittsburgh for four years and travel around and play soccer there. Oh, i said it again. Football, well, you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> and it was great to just talk with like-minded people about it. But they weren't even soccer fans or football fans. They were just they, – they enjoyed the sport. And most of them would play video games, at, uh, FIFA and whatever year. and and uh, – that's how they get into the game and uh, that really has translated i think a lot of our audience are quite young um and yeah it's it's been fun and again like i said we don't really know there's so many people out there watching it go to bars and fan groups and supporters groups and we've got some big events across the u.s just have one in washington uh, and there's a lot more events coming up like watch party events on a saturday where we'll produce the whole show live in front of fans and and get everyone together for a big party. So it's a different kind of crowd than what would uh, normally watch the the game here in England and Premier League games, but I think it's surpassed all our expectations.
3: Yeah, and uh, I mean, Paul was mentioning there, so he lives in Omaha, Nebraska, he's part of the Saints partnership, so, you know, the teams that he'd been involved in, there's more kids now wearing Saints shirt because Saints came across and were carrying out the conferences and sessions, so from Saints' Mm. Saints point of view, obviously the chairman is, you know, in American inverted commas, but uh, them being in the Premier League, I guess, is essential to sort of increasing and improving their reputation and their their knowledge with fans over there.
4: Definitely, and and from speaking, you know, I did a piece with Martin Hunter and Mo Gimpel and some of the other guys at Saints, and... Went along and talked to them about it, and um, it's kind of on the grassroots level that Saints are trying to grow because they're trying to find a unique—not uh, to sound too markety or whatever—a U.S.P. per se in terms of what they can give that Man United, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, what they cannot give, and, and Saints are going into these teams on the grassroots level and offering them their coaching services and saying you can follow the same system that we produced Gareth Bale, Walcott, Nalani, Roxley, Chamberlain, etc and it seems to be working from a point of view and the numbers are there uh, they've got the southampton cup which is happening uh, in december in baltimore uh, in texas and orlando they've got three big youth tournaments that they're uh, through under armour and the connections there that they've arranged and, and young americans will be coming over to southampton in 2019 in the early months to have a training course and, and see the club up close so i think you know it's been slightly taken out of um, the limelight with the, the Chinese ownership coming in, and obviously the preseason tour there this summer. And there's opportunities I know that the club are focusing on in, in China, the Far East, and Australia, everywhere else as well. But I think it's fair to say that the American market and the US market is still at the forefront of Southampton's sort of ambitions. Mm. Uh, and no doubt, uh, Ralph Kruger is really driving that with his connections. I mean, you know, he was an NHL coach uh, not long ago. He's very well respected in the, the sporting community within the US. Uh, has a lot of great connections uh, across all of the different realms of the sporting world there. So it would be silly not to use those connections to try and grow Saint's global reach. And I think we've seen that with Under Armour. Mm. Uh, and who knows where it's going to go, but. I have to say that they're not the only Premier League team that's trying to do this. It's a tough market to get into. Obviously, the bigger clubs and the bigger brands, the bigger teams, they have a huge advantage over the likes of Southampton already. So you kind of have to find a bit of a niche in the market. And I think Saints could do that, you know, with you know young Americans knowing that if they are brought up on that, that modules and uh, and the sort of way of Southampton training young players, then, then maybe they can follow in the footsteps of others. So. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happens. It's not going to be a, an overnight thing. It's going to be, you know, three, five years down the line. We can probably start to see if theres f- success or not. Yeah. Adam, Joe made a great
3: point there, but something I was going to ask you about. Your knowledge of the club, Adam, and obviously the Gao ownership now and the sort of focus that that has brought more towards China. How much do you think of, a, of, a, of an impact, you know, alongside what Joe said there, that could have on their desire to really try and break America? Or do you think they'll try
1: and complement each other? My sense is that they will they will want to do everything, of course they will, but i I don't think that that's probably all that realistic and i I get the impression that that maybe a little bit of focus has gone away from america. I think that was that was the big target that Ralph had set was sort of really establishing themselves in North america um in in many different aspects which joe's sort of just gone into which is really interesting the the one thing they wanted to do as kind of the major launch pad was the big north american tour um you know the big summer trip and as far as i was aware until uh mr gal took ownership the, the plan was this summer would have been the big American trip and the real push to break America. But obviously they've ended up in China and uh, not that they, they hadn't sort of thought that they would probably attempt to do stuff in the far East, but obviously they're, you know, that that is now very much a primary focus because that's where Mr. Gao is. Um, but, you know, I think we all assume that one of his reasons for owning Southampton football club is because it probably, he, you know, his very being and place there is, is a, is a good status symbol it's good stature for him as a businessman in China and therefore he wants his team out there and he wants to exploit the business opportunities that um arise for him so i think it's going to be very difficult and very challenging for them to focus on trying to do both things because as joe said they don't have the natural advantage of this huge name and reputation that a man united or a, a you know a barcelona or somebody like that has just by, by the club badge and the club name. So that it is something they have to put an awful lot of work into. They have put a lot of work into North America, but I, I do sense that some of the focus has, has now switched over to the Far East, which is only natural with, with Galbert.
3: Yeah. Just finally then, Joe, on the US, um, Paul was talking in his piece about players like Tim Howard and Clint Dempsey and Pulisic uh, now at Dortmund and the, the sort of pride Americans have in their footballers um, being over in Europe. So I, I guess the holy grail for Saints is trying to may, maybe find a, a talented youngster through one of their Southampton Cups that can come along as part of the group that come to Staplewood and really try and find someone that they can get on that, that pathway and sort of sell to the Americans as this is one of your own, this is how we're helping him develop and grow.
4: Yeah. And I honestly think they're still trying to do that, uh, with the, you know, let's not forget the 2026 World Cup. I mean, it's eight years away, but that's going to be in the U.S. So now if you were able to develop a teenager and have them come through the club and at their peak you're sort of coming towards were playing in the first team at Southampton and they were a star for the U.S. national team, then that would be the dream, I think, for Saints with all this. But, um, yeah, in terms of what their aim is, I'm not quite sure, as Adam said, that they've been able to put enough focus on it uh, as they would have liked to have done. Um, and the problem they have is that when, you know, it first started kicking off that they were trying to get into the U S market, they were the best of the rest. They were finishing sixth, they were finishing, you know, eight from the table. And it was quite easy to build them as, you know, if you're a new fan to the sport and you want to follow the premier league and you don't want to be a glory hunter or, you know, just be cliche, then Southampton's a team for you. They produce young players. They're exciting to watch. You're going to get some big wins, and it's going to be exciting along the way, but mm. I don't really think you can say that the last couple of years, but that's <laughs> probably hit their ambitions a little bit. Uh, and the other problem with the U.S. Tours in the summer, um, the ICC, the International Champions Cup, is, is run by a company um, out of Miami area, and um, they, they get on board You know, the, the Man City, the Man United, Tottenham's Chelsea, whoever, uh, Milan, Madrid, you can go on and on, and they want those big teams there to draw crowds, and mm. even they don't draw big crowds. Uh, in the U.S. and they have these contracts signed up. So unless Saints get invited on one of these huge tours, I don't really see them going to the U.S. anytime soon because I'm not sure how much sense it would make. I've seen other teams go over there, um, Stoke, Swansea, and play sort of second division teams in the U.S. because even Major League Soccer teams are in season then and it's difficult to arrange it. So, yeah, you have to kind of get on that top table if you're going to go to the U.S. and make kind of a an impact and i think saints i don't want to say they've missed the opportunity but unless things have a huge upturn on the playing side of things in the next couple of years then it's going to be difficult to kind of turn that momentum back around
2: Castle Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach and Steve Grant. Sponsored by UK.
3: Next week sees Saints taking on Everton at Goodison Park and then Chelsea at St Mary's, the former in the Carabao Cup and the latter in the Premier League. I was thinking today, Stephen, like the result at Molyneux, do you feel Saints really need to try and go and get a result in the Carabao Cup or is that one that we're you know keen to get out as soon as we can, bearing in mind the draw?
0: Yeah, I think having, having seen the draw last night, Leicester away, it's not... It's it's one of those where yeah I mean you could you could win the game um, and then all of a sudden the draw might open up for you but it's it's not an easy one I think if we'd have if we'd have been drawn against either Burton or Blackpool then I think you say well okay we take a first team up to Everton we try and win the game
3: because
0: mm. I think Everton are likely to make a lot of changes themselves yeah. but I think having drawn Leicester away it's a tough it's a tough draw Leicester Leicester are a decent side. I think it's going to be one of those games where we're going to make nine or ten changes. You'll have perhaps two or three senior players in that side and um, the rest will be potentially playing for a place in the game against Chelsea. Although Hughes hinted at uh, the Everton game um, actually, being a being an opportunity for players to get in uh, to stake a claim. I mean, he said that before the Brighton game, and then it turned out that that was a load of nonsense. So, mm. I mean, the the boy who cried wolf um, springs to mind there. I think if he's if he's trying to use that as a motivational sort of stick and carrot, I think um, prob- he's possibly going about that the wrong way. Um, for my money.
3: Yeah, and I assume, Madam, from your point of view, as you mentioned right at the start, not overly enamoured about uh, two reserve sides playing a half-empty stadium again on a Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, it's all a bit depressing. I'm not. I'm not sure really anybody wants to be going to this one, and it's it's just so much travelling at the moment. You know, I looked it up the other day because um, Hughes mentioned something in his press conference pre-match about having played so much away, and I looked it up, and actually, it's it's not just a feeling. It's it's very real. I mean, it's um, after Everton, it's amazingly that'll be 16 out of 20, the last 23 games away from home.
3: 16 out of 23. With well, our record at Semies, so that's not a bad thing.
1: <laughs> well, may,
3: maybe not. But, um,
1: but if, uh, the other way of looking at it is, if you want to get over that bad record, you need to play more often because it just, you know, it becomes a bigger mental barrier. True. But, yeah. but it'd be great if we always knew the draws, wouldn't it? Because you know then whether it's worth really putting in the effort or not. Um, it doesn't really feel like it's probably worth it. I mean, t- to get. Um, yeah, it seems like the law now that Saints must be drawn away from home at all times in cup competitions. <laughs> and to have got uh, a third Premier League team away on, on the trot in the League Cup just this season with Leicester, it's, you've got to beat Everton, you've got to beat Leicester. I mean, let's be honest, it, it doesn't look that likely. It's it's not really going to be the end of the world, is it, it sounds terrible, but a bit defeatist. But you, we know what's going to happen. He's going to take, obviously, uh, you know, the, the second string. It's not impossible they'll get through because it, there might be some players there that feel like that they they do have a point to prove and and uh, you know as Steve said really we'll, we'll yeah the proof of the pudding will be in if anybody plays really well do they end up playing against Chelsea or not because if they don't then it you know we, we just have to assume that those are sort of things are empty words and the kind of things a manager needs to say but yeah I can't all, all things considered uh, I I must admit I am desperately lacking any enthusiasm <laughs> for this game and I. I'm yeah, anticipating a, a long and uh, unenjoyable day.
3: Yeah.
1: I reckon they just do the draw
3: just to annoy you. I, I was thinking earlier, so Ads, haven't, like sec- think so haven't you got like a second string journalist at the Daily Echo you can send up to watch a second string match or something like that? Or is it just you these days? That, that's me
1: as well. <laughs> or maybe I'm the second string journalist and we don't have a first string so I end up that's doing the like yeah, Probably more Couldn't can, like
0: can you just pretend that Gordon still works at the Echo? <laughs> well,
1: yeah. Yeah, that would be a, it would be joyous if we could get him back for one day only, and especially if it was Everton away yeah, on yeah. a Tuesday night. Or well, maybe Joe will come. Well, maybe exactly. Joe will do it.
3: There, there, you, yeah. go. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a wonderful <laughs> offer! <laughs> um, just briefly on the Carabao Cup, then, Joe. Um, I guess as Saints fans, we've we've always struggled to win trophies. We've been a bit sport the last couple of years getting to Wembley. Are you surprised Premier League clubs don't take more interest in the Carabao Cup, or do you think it's understandable with the amount of money and sort of pressure that it, there is to survive in the Premier League these days?
4: Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised, if I'm totally honest, being cynical. You need to stay in the Premier League and in that situation now. Where a couple of years ago, maybe they could have played a stronger team. And not really worried about the game on a Sunday or a Saturday, but they need to focus on the home game with Chelsea and try and uh, get something if they can. But yeah, I'm not surprised. I think it's going to be a weakened side. Mm. And the problem is, guys, you're talking about like bringing players in um, and seeing if they do well and then will they be in the Chelsea team? But you know, I haven't been in some situations like that myself when I. You know, growing up, if, if you're out of a team, if you're someone like Armstrong or, you know, Walt Prowse, Stevens, Rashida even, and you haven't been playing for the last four or five weeks regularly, and you're asked to come in and then all of a sudden, yes, they're professionals, but we have to, like, the match fitness aspect, the sharpness, it's all well and good saying you've got to take your chance, but you haven't played for over a month, uh, 90 minutes, and you, you're kind of asked to put in a performance. That comes into it a little bit, so I'm a bit worried that Hughes has kind of put everything on this group of players mm. at the start of the season as this is started, and now that it's not really working, he's almost you know saying, well, we'll figure out and see who else can do his job. But it's a little bit easier to say than actually do. And so you know we're we'll six to win, you in. You've got to play well against Chelsea now. So I'm a little bit concerned about that because I, I, some of the decisions tactically um, and personnel-wise uh, have surprised me early in the season and. and Going back to the Brighton game, it seems like hopefully we're not going to be going back to that all season as like a big turning point. But that last, you know, 20 minutes when they're 2-0 up, sat in that stadium as a Saints fan. I just didn't feel confident we were going to even uh, get get the win there, you know, which is crazy to say. And uh, it's just been eroding the confidence away. Uh, And this group of players, they need something, they need to be shaken up or they need to be (laughs) wholesale changes, which... I think may happen, you know, and the way things have been going for Saints, they'll probably go to Everton and win. Uh, and then that sets up a lovely away game at Leicester for Adam and Cole yeah. to go and
3: uh, watch. It. Adam
4: loves Claude, though, Jay, so
3: he'll love to see Claude again. So, uh, uh, what, a, is, what a man. <laughs> Some
0: lo- lovely possibilities. <laughs>
3: um, then we're moving on to, to Chelsea then, Steve. So, yeah, not exactly the opposition, we're rocking up at St Mary's with a record like we've got.
0: Uh, no, and especially not with Eden Hazard in the form that he's been in in the last week or so. And bear in mind that was up against the likes of Van Dyke and he was tearing them, uh, to pieces. So, um, God knows what, um, what havoc he's gonna wreak. Um, given that he's, he's usually on his game against us as well. So mm-hmm. that's, um, that's obviously concerning. Um, I saw in the paper, um, I think it was in the Observer. Um, today that there was an article about Olivier Giroud um, sort of tactically fitting the way that Chelsea want to play but that he's not scored enough goals well who better to come up against than the team that you always score against (laughs) Um, so yeah I'm I'm really looking forward to Sunday watching that with a massive hangover after I've been out for my birthday on the Saturday
3: yeah well happy birthday in advance for that Um, Eden Hazard Joe as uh, Steve mentioned there I imagine for any Americans that don't really understand or show that much interest in Premier League. He's sort of someone that can probably get anyone on the edge of their seat.
4: Yeah, um, needless to say, he's been unbelievable, which is scary for a uh, Saints fan looking ahead to this game at the weekend. But uh, I spoke to a lot of players and I grew up playing um, sort of same leagues as Jeff Cameron and those American players. Uh, and I spoke to him once and he said he is by far the best player he's ever had to play against in terms of, he was playing right back against Hazard, he's not a natural right back, and he said, you just don't know which way he's going to go, he can easily go left, can go right at the same pace, same trickery, and yeah, I I, I really struggle to see how Saints going to get anything from this game, mm. but amongst my friends, I'm known as quite a positive Saints fan, so I'm going to go, maybe we'll get a draw or nick something, and that could reignite our season, but... Uh, even now I'm struggling to stay positive with this at the moment. So, um, yeah, uh, for me, Saints has got to stay in it half-time if they can get to that uh, level. Um, You know, we saw what West Ham did against Chelsea. You have to follow that that model, really, and that way of playing. Uh, And and I think we have, obviously, with Ings, we have the players on the break that can cause some problems, but you just have to accept that you're not going to have the ball for large periods, especially against this Chelsea, uh, with Jorginho uh, pulling the strings, Kante pushed further forward pretty formidable force and uh yeah what a wonderful game that was chelsea against liverpool in terms of just for sort the of neutrals you know to see two different completely different styles of football let's be honest and uh it was quite refreshing to see the two managers hugging and having a laugh at the end of the game on the sidelines so they both enjoyed it i think everyone did and for for you know fans in the u.s i would have to say that chelsea are right up there with man united liverpool and arsenal are massive as well man city and tottenham are uh, lagging a little bit behind I would say in fan numbers out of the top six but Chelsea are very well supported in the US and uh, Hazard is the main man for them Yeah, Adam as we
3: sort of mentioned even over the years since St Mary's Open I-, I remember we played Chelsea in our first ever game at St Mary's I think it was 2-0 we lost um, they've always had a decent record at St Mary's as well so that doesn't really help to
1: support the fact that we, uh, we struggle to beat anyone there Oh man, that's positive. <laughs> what, do you, what do you even say? Come on, it's going to be a difficult game, isn't it? You play any of the top six, you're in for a tough game. You play a team that's that's obviously doing really well as as Chelsea now are. They've settled down really quickly. Under Sari, they look good. I, I was listening to the commentary of the Liverpool game because I was on my way back from uh, Um but but hearing what the guys were saying on the radio, they're obviously playing some great stuff. We know Hazard. Um, He's absolutely, you know, top 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 draw player and it's gonna be a tough day. I, I totally concur with what, what what Joe said in his assessment of it. They just need to try and hang in there if they can, basically, and, and sort of weather the storm and frustrate Chelsea and, and hope that's enough because uh, it's gonna be a very, very tough afternoon, I would think. Mm.
3: Just finally, Adam, Adam, before we do our predictions, we, we spoke um about the international break coming at the wrong time maybe for Saints last time out, depending that what does happen at Chelsea. You know, say we, we do lose, I'm not trying to be negative, but say we do, do you think I know you're not on next week's podcast, so do you think um the international break could actually come at the right time for the Saints to really sort of take a step back and try and
1: look at what they want to do before Christmas? No, not really. I think they need to keep playing games. Mm. I, 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 you know, I don't. I think that despite the fact that that's why I felt it, it might help them last time. I, uh, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It turns out it hasn't really helped them much at all. Um, and they and they kind of that stuttering start to the season is difficult for every club to deal with. The three international breaks. Yeah, every time you just feel like the season's got a bit of rhythm, bit of narrative. This comes along. Um, I think for Saints uh, maybe if they got spanked by Chelsea in a funny kind of way it wouldn't be the worst time uh, to take a break but I just think they they kind of need to find some confidence and some belief from somewhere and I think that if you're on the back of a poor run and then you don't play for a couple of weeks well where's the confidence and belief there? You need to kind of keep playing and you want games to try and find something that's, that's going to turn it around and, and give you a more positive mentality so I think from Saint's point of view, they they like to keep playing. I would think.
3: Whenever I listen to our predictions back, it's always the end of the the clip is always me giving a negative attitude, and then you giving me abuse, Adam. So I thought we'd do it reverse this time. I would go first this week with my negative prediction, and then you guys can sort of lead to a positive towards the end of the section, if that's all right. So, uh, um, so I'm going to go two 0 Chelsea because I think they'll be far too strong for us. Um, Steve, what about you?
1: Maverick Grant last week. Let's not forget.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm reverting I'm reverting back to being playing the sensible game here because I think we're going to get absolutely spanked. I just don't think that we're learning anything and coming up against a proper team who might actually fancy playing for the 90 minutes rather than Liverpool who only played for 45... Um, I think we can get stuffed, so I'm going to go four-one.
3: <laughs> good, good. All right.
0: Yeah. H- happy birthday to me.
3: <laughs> I was a bit the wolves. Uh, I was a bit gutted that Wolves scored that 87-minute goal yesterday because that cost me my three points in this prediction league. But uh, there it's we go. All about you, isn't well, it? you know, you know. So Adam, come on then. Any better than
1: that? 4-1, 2-0, What you got? Listen, I'm I'm working out whether I go with what I. Th- think the score will be or whether now you've both gone for defeats whether I try and play the game to see if I could get an unlikely result to help my prediction the table but I think I'll probably have to just stick with going for what I think I, I think Chelsea will win but uh, I-, I fancy Saints to maybe give them a bit of a game I know that sounds unlikely given <laughs> everything we've talked about but I, I think maybe they-, they can give them a game so I'll, I'll go a bit of a narrow defeat 2-1
3: 2-1, brilliant, alright, so well we're still going to end on
1: a positive, Joe, you mentioned
3: uh, a draw earlier, so you fancy something, well I'm not saying you fancy, sorry, but you, you're going to be confident enough to, to put your, Thanks, your head mate. on the chopping block here, come on <laughs> in.
4: <laughs> so what are you well, going for, Joe, what do you reckon? you know, I, I, said, I said I'm a positive Saints fan, I'm going to go 1-1, I don't really know why, but I feel like this pod needs to end on a positive, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with that, stick my up in the line and... You know, from someone who grew up watching Saints and the Milton Road end so many years of upsetting the, the odds and all the rest of it uh, why not get regain some of that spirit and Wesley Hoot's going to score a last minute equaliser from a corner there you go <laughs>
0: I'm not wow even gonna, that's I'm not a even detailed that. prediction yeah, that's fantastic so, <laughs> we are literally living in dream world <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thanks for listening to Total Saints Podcast. It's always appreciated. My thanks to our regulars, Adam and Steve. Joey, thanks to you also for joining us and keep up the good work with NBC and hopefully we can get you on again later in the season. It's been uh, fun having you with us, so thanks for that.
4: Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed this.
3: We'll be back again next week and hope you'll be able to join us then. Until then, have a good week. Let's hope the results at Everton and or against Chelsea are good and keep marching in.
1: Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first.
2: ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times.
1: ACAS powers the world's
4: best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
2: This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way.